Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, well, good morning, everyone. Hey, can we welcome New Brunswick and Nutley watching us on the big screen? Glad you guys are with us. Thrilled you're with us today. We are... uh, Week two of our secret sauce series in which we're revealing the secret ingredients that make our church unique, that give our ministry a little something, something. Uh, if you're new or you're just joining us, um, our recipe is actually very simple. At Liquid, we have three key ingredients that we hope you will taste in all of our ministry environments. The first is grace. We talked about this last week, God's radical love and his compassion towards broken people. Um, at Liquid, we actually believe the church is a hospital for sinners not just a museum for saints, okay? So if you're, you're here today, you don't have all your stuff together, good news, grace wins. God loves you, so do we. You're accepted here. But we hope that's actually tempered by truth. That is, at Liquid, we believe the Bible is actually God's timeless truth. Although this is an ancient document, some of it 2,000, 4,000 years old, we believe it still applies uh, in the 21st century. It's why I teach from the scriptures every Sunday, because we believe truth is relevant, that God still speaks and he has something to say to you, in fact, today, and I hope that's the truth. Grace, truth, and our third ingredient, we we throw in a little pinch of fun for good measure, and we're going to have some fun today. We take God and his word very seriously, but ourselves not so much. You know what I'm talking about? That's why I'm wearing an apron today. Uh, Some of you are going to wish you were wearing an apron in a few minutes, Uh, but creativity and imagination, we hope that's a, we use that to communicate really the Father's heart, and I hope you will feel God's heart today. Last week, we discovered how the Bible actually described Jesus with this word. It says he came full of, what are the words? Grace and truth. That's where we get our first two ingredients, grace and truth. That's really the essence of the gospel. When it comes to living and loving broken people, Jesus calls us to grace. That is compassion, not condemnation, okay? Contrary to popular belief, our job as Christians is not to judge others or throw rocks at people who are struggling, okay? But to be counterculture, we actually radically love and care for people in the midst of their mess because that's what Christ did for us. It's what he does every day. That's why we say grace wins on the one hand. On the other hand, truth is relevant. That's the second part of the recipe here in John. You see that? Jesus came full of grace and truth. One balances the other out. Jesus embraced broken people. Remember the woman caught in adultery, right? He said, I don't condemn you. That's grace. But then he said, go and sin no more. That's truth. You're living a life of sin. I didn't design you to live a promiscuous life. Your father in heaven has a lot better for you than sleeping around. That's what you're looking for, isn't it? Jesus said, I am the way, I am the what? The truth and the life. And until you begin a relationship with me, you will always be hungry. You will always be searching for that something, something that actually satisfies your soul. So in other words, grace wins, but but truth is relevant. It's the hot sauce, the blue cheese, the yin, the yang, the peanut butter, the jelly, the gospel, you get it. Grace and truth go together. And the problem is, if you emphasize one over the other, the whole recipe gets screwed up. Uh, Some Christians emphasize, for instance, a truth minus the grace, which leads to legalism. In other words, a relationship with God becomes all about like rules and regulations. You guys know this? Kind of a list of do's and don'ts. I grew up in a church that had a long list uh, that way. It said, you know, uh, Christians don't, you know, uh, drink, uh, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. That's like we have that saying, you know. It's, It's the gospel of sin management, okay? In other words, the good news is just avoid sin and follow the rules. Keep your nose clean. Truth 
without grace leads to legalism. And nobody likes the taste of that. It's a big turnoff to non-believers and why some Christians are often seen as self-righteous and judgmental. We don't want to be a legalistic church, all truth, no grace. On the other hand, we don't want to just emphasize grace at the expense of truth because that's what leads to liberalism. In other words, an anything goes kind of mentality. That's how the secular world operates. It's a worldview that says, well, God is love, and as long as uh, you know, it feels loving and feels right to you and doesn't hurt others, go for it. In other words, truth is not relevant. Truth is relative. It depends on your personal needs and preferences, and that's how some people swing. Um, they come to church and they say, well, I like the idea of God. I like Jesus especially. I like love and his compassion and grace. But I don't want to talk about sin and the, and the fact that God actually has standards of his own that we, of which we fall woefully short. So just focus on grace, okay? Kind of just soft pedal the truth. And what you get, guys, is this fuzzy tolerance that tastes like tapioca pudding. In other words, everyone does whatever seems right in their own eyes. Grace without truth leads to liberalism. Anything goes, you set the standard, which, guess what, is pride. It is the highest sin in God's eyes. And so at Liquid, we don't want to be a liberal or kind of licentious church where any lifestyle is blindly thumbs up, all grace, no truth. You see why you need both in balance? Does this make sense to you? Truth without grace is legalism. Grace without truth is liberalism. But the secret sauce is this. Grace plus truth leads to love, not love, sappy, sentimental human love, but a divine love, okay, that actually um, accepts people as they are, but inspires you actually to obey because you trust the Father's heart. When you get grace and truth in perfect harmony, you touch the heart of Christ. It's the heart of the gospel. Grace wins. Truth is relevant. Two key ingredients to the Christian life and our ministry here at Liquid. Now, this morning, what I want to do is kind of illustrate to you how this, this hot sauce works in real time. You know, what we say truth is relevant, um, not relative. And um, what I mean by that is I get asked all sorts of, you know, very everyday questions by, by many of you. People email them in, that sort of thing. People looking for truth, biblical answers. For instance, I'll give you uh, the topic of relationships. I got two emails uh, recently that I want to share. I'll call the first um, mad and married. Uh, <laughs> And the second, let's just call uh, single and skeptical. I'm keeping these anonymous. You'll see why. Married and Mad wrote this. She said, uh, Dear Pastor Tim, I'm writing you because I'm at the end of my rope. My husband and I were recently married, only 11 months, and it's nothing like I expected. Surprise. Uh, <laughs> um, he, listen, he doesn't take the time to talk with me, and I feel like I've been duped. Most night, he parks in front of the TV and veges, and when I ask about his day, he just sits there, not even listening. I confronted him, and he got defensive. I said, I expected more emotional support from you. He said, that's okay, I expected more sex from you. I'm so, I'm so mad at him. That's amazing, it's honest. I know the Bible frowns on divorce, but we're so different. I wonder if I've made a mistake, sincerely married and mad. Any married folks uh, relate to this? Okay, actually, don't raise your hand. Don't, <laughs> that was bad. Uh, re real life, right? It doesn't get more relevant that, than this. And this is the level at which grace and truth are lived or not in the context of relationship. Her question is like, can God's word speak truth into my, my struggling marriage? Let me say, for single folks, let me show this other email from single and skeptical. A guy wrote this. He said, hey, Tim, quick question. I'm thinking about asking my girlfriend to move in with me. Uh, growing up, I was taught living together is a sin, but I've searched the Bible. I can't find a verse to support that. Now, okay. <laughs> That's honest. In today's climate, Living together seems to make a lot of sense. Listen to what he says. It's cheaper. We can save money for our wedding. It saves on time and travel. We drive or sleep over anyway. Plus, 
Why wouldn't you try something out before making a long-term commitment? That's how a lot of people think. And he says, marriage has changed for my generation. And the Bible seems old-fashioned and outdated when it comes to rules like this. Thanks for your time, single and skeptical. He actually has a PS. He says, I took the risk to ask you this because I think you're an honest dude and won't judge me. Um, <laughs> good news, I'm not going to judge you. Why? Because grace wins, okay? But, but, truth is relevant. And I want to I tell you the truth, and I want to show you how the truth applies in real time. Because both these, these emails, these topics, bring up this, this topic of relationships. One gal ma- trying to make her struggling marriage work. The other guy wants to move in with his girlfriend, which, by the way, living together, huge trend, okay? Just, can we just be honest? Check this out. In 1960, the number of unmarried couples living together before marriage was 450,000. Today, that number is 7.5 million, okay? So it's a 1,500% increase in the last five decades, all right? Today, the majority of young adults in their 20s will live with a romantic partner at least once, okay? So, so listen, cultural standards are relative. They are shifting generationally. And the question is, is the Bible still relevant today? How does God's unchanging word apply to these two situations? You know, what I appreciate about these emails is that they're, they're honest. Uh, many of you can relate. They're sincere. They're both actually asking this question, can you help me understand God's perspective? I mean, how does something that's 2,000 years old help me in the 21st century? Is the Bible still relevant? I believe it is. At Liquid, we really believe the Bible is God's roadmap for life. Think of this as kind of his instruction manual for godly living, living in in love with God, living in love with others. In other words, we believe it's inspired, not just inspiring. It doesn't mean it's it's written by a a sharp human mind, but it's the Holy Spirit actually speaking through men. It's inerrant. That means it contains unchanging truth of God. So truth isn't, isn't relative shifting with the culture. It's relevant. We change as we submit to God's purposes for our life. And that's why I teach you from the scriptures every Sunday, because you don't want to hear my opinion on the issues, okay? You want to hear the word of God, and these are the words of life, and the Bible is very, very practical and down to earth. For example, topic of relationships, consider this truth from 1 Corinthians 7, 28. It says, those who marry will face many troubles in this life. Now, this is a verse you don't hear read at weddings very often, all right? This is, let's just be honest. Not on a lot of Hallmark cards, you know, because it'd actually be fun to kind of like sign it like that, congratulations, you know. Those who marry will have trouble, but too late for you, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> the woman in the first email would say, that is the truth of God. Those who marry will face troubles. But the question is like, well, where does the trouble come from? Let's do this. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 19. I want to look at what Jesus teaches here because Jesus had a lot to say about the topic of marriage and divorce and, and conflict and all that, all that sort of stuff. And instead of just focusing on the conflicts that we experience, Jesus kind of helps us understand where they come from. He gets back to the core issue. Here's what he says in Matthew 19, verse 4. He says, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female? And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, Jesus says, but one Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Now, if you've been to a wedding, you you hear those words, what God has joined together, let man not separate. You may now kiss the bride. It's a romantic moment. The next morning, however, the fun begins. And and Jesus is like, I just want to make this clear and speak truth to you, uh, that men and women are not alike. Jesus is actually referencing Genesis 1 here. He's like, haven't you read at the very beginning of all of this, Uh, your your heavenly father made them male and female. In other words, men and women are different and God wired them that way. It's kind of like grace and truth. One is kind of meant to balance the other. 
And when you get them in harmony, woo, awesome sauce. Marriage can be awesome. But if you don't respect the difference, they're going to be trouble in the kitchen, okay? Now, let me illustrate this truth this way. Some of you may remember this illustration from, uh, from Mark Gungor. Um, wives, uh, married women here, I want you to imagine your husband's brain for a minute. Uh, if you were to crack open his head, what do you think you would see? Okay, what, what do you think you would actually see? If you were to look at his brain underneath, <laughs> some of you are like, I like that idea. Crack open the man's head. This is actually what you would see. You would see a man's brain, you've seen this, is like a waffle. If you cracked open his head, you would see a waffle. And some of you are like, oh, I knew it. I thought it was oatmeal. But a waffle, you're like, that's my husband's brain. It's the burnt one. And what I mean is, a man's brain is made up of tiny little boxes. He's, we've got a box for everything in our world. He's got a box for his job. He's got a box for the car, a box for sex, a box for the kids. Here's a box for you. Here's a, a box for your mother living under the stairs. And, and, la and ladies, the, 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 the boxes, this is the rule, are never allowed to touch, okay? When a man discusses a particular subject, the man goes into this box. We open the box. We take out what is in that box and talk about only what's in that box. And then we close the box and put it away, being very, very careful not to touch any of the other boxes. That's the genius of Waffle Boy. God, okay, God, he, we're, our brain is made up of boxes. You can put syrup in this one, it won't leak into the other. It's compartmentalized. You can call it singular focus, but God made us male. He made you female. Respect the waffle, okay, ladies? It's how God wired our brain to work. We put things in boxes. Now, let me compare how God wired men's brains to how God wired women. Let me just... Actually, let's just have a little Catholic moment here, okay, before I <laughs> say this. If you were to crack open a woman's brain, what would you see? Spaghetti, okay? Take a look at this. You know, if his brain is a waffle compartments, hers is like spaghetti where everything is connected to everything. <laughs> his job is connected to the money. The money's connected to the car. The kids are connected to her. She's connected to and Everything's connected to everything. It's like a big bowl of noodles. And the deal is, guys, it is driven by this energy called emotion. It's all like, oh, did you, you did this? Your mother, you made me feel like that. It's one of the reasons women tend to remember everything. Because if you take an event and you connect it to an emotion, it burns in your brain and you can remember it forever, forever okay? The same thing actually happens for men, just not as often because, frankly, we don't care, all right? Women care about everything. And she just loves it. The trouble occurs when, when Waffle Boy comes up to Spaghetti Girl and he asks like a simple question requiring like a simple answer. Like, hey, did you pick up the dry cleaning? Okay. There's a yes box and a no box, okay, in Waffle World. But in her world, nothing, nothing simple. It's all connected. And she says, oh, yes, I went to the dry cleaner. She never guessed who I ran into. Do you remember Tracy? Yeah, her brother Rob, he got engaged to Jennifer from the pool. We didn't get our badges from the pool. Speaking of which, did you know Tracy? She's going through a nasty breakup, and you hear about it. It's like a spider web. Everything links to everything. And, it, and, and the waffle guy's like, what the? He asks a simple question. He just wants to know, do I have a clean shirt for work tomorrow, right? Men, you got to get used to the idea that you're going to always be about 15 minutes behind in any conversation with her. And when she talks, she's going to hyper, like, zzz, 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 everything's connected, and then she's different, and that's okay. Jesus is like, haven't you read? At the beginning, 
the creator made them male and female. It's like waffles and spaghetti, and she's got a lot cooking up there, okay, boys? Now, the problem is, is that most men, I'm giving away a little secrets this morning. Most men have a box in our brain that most women aren't aware of. We call this the nothing box. And there's nothing in it. And of all the boxes a man has in his brain, the nothing box is our favorite box. <laughs> Given the chance, a man will go to his nothing box every single time. It is why a man can do something completely brain dead for hours on end. Video games, channel surfing, you know, fishing. It's why we can do that, okay? They've actually studied this. Uh, University of Pennsylvania, they did this. This is a couple of research projects. Wired men's brain, actually, all kinds of wires, and discovered we have the ability to actually think about absolutely nothing and still breathe at the same time. <laughs> kind of flat. Women can't do this. The brain never shuts off. It's always running, throbbing with emotion and activity. And so she can't understand the nothing box. This young wife wrote, most nights, my husband comes home from work parks in front of the TV, and he veges. And when I ask about his day, he just sits there not even listening. But that's actually how most men unwind. We just veg out. When something stresses us out, the last thing we want to do is talk about it. Um, sometimes on Sunday when I get home, I'm, I am, I'm just shot, okay? I, honestly, I love talking to all of you, fabulous. But when I get home, I got nothing left, okay? And you know what I do? I watch hillbilly hand fishing, okay? or some other mindless show, okay? I go into my man cave, it's just our basement, and if I'm lucky, World's Deadliest Police Chases is on, okay? And inevitably, Colleen comes downstairs, and she's like, and she's like what you doing? And I'm like, what, what? Nothing, you know, nothing. Well, how'd it go today? Talk to anyone interesting? No, no, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> well, what are you watching? Nothing. And that drives Spaghetti Girl crazy, because if she sees Waffle Boy sitting there doing nothing, she thinks, he's holding out on me. He's hiding. He's obviously has thinking about something, but truly, it's nothing. This is how waffle guys handle stress. We, we put the situation in the box and close a lid and open a different box. It's how God wired us. But when spaghetti lady gets stressed, guess what, man? She's got to talk about it, okay? Because if she doesn't talk about what he did and she thinks about this, her brain will literally explode, okay? This is how it goes. I can't believe that. And her brain goes into hyperdrive because everything's connected. And that's scary to men. I know guys who actually run from their wives when they do this because they're like, I don't know what to say to her. Brother, who told you to talk? <laughs> Whoa. See, when a woman is talking about her problems, most men think she's looking for a solution. Spaghetti doesn't want you to fix it, okay? She needs you to feel it. You feeling me? She's not a man. Spaghetti needs to release her emotion, and if you try to fix her, she's going to kill you. So don't try and untangle the noodles because they're wired. It's like a Sometimes you just need to shut up and listen. And this is hard for us, ladies. I'll just be honest. Guys, again, I'm giving away our secret sauce. Uh, waffles, we have selective hearing. We only hear what fits in our predetermined boxes. So if a wife says to her husband, you know, uh, honey, go, go to the store. Lay down the mulch. She gives the honey-do list. Wash and wax the car. Get the kids at school. Rent some videos and do the rest of the dishes. We run that through our waffle filter. And do you know what we hear? Honey, go lay down and get some rest. That fits very neatly into our box, okay? Yeah, oh, now I'm talking truth. Now I'm talking truth here. What I'm talking about is the difference between single tasking and multitasking, okay? Most men, we have very limited RAM. We can only have like one or two programs open at one time, okay? 
If I open like a box for work, I start like checking email or something, and Colleen says, hey, can you take the garbage? She might as well have said like, can you eat the garbage? Because I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. You know, I, I just, I can't, because all I hear is Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. I can't process two things at once. When I'm layers deep in my work, that's, I'm dialed in, and you know what? It's not because I'm lazy or belligerent or I don't love you, but God designed us this way. Not wrong, just different. Haven't you heard Jesus said? I love it. He says, haven't you heard? <laughs> at the beginning, God made the male and female. Spaghetti is a multitasker. Um, I remember after we had our first child, I walked into the kitchen uh, one night, and Colleen, she was actually making lasagna on the stove, and she had a baby on one hip and a phone on her shoulder, and she's stirring, and as she's talking, she senses that over here that the dog, like, has to get out, and so she hops over to the, you know, the, the, the door and, like, lets the dog out, gives me a kiss, and goes back to talking on the phone, and I was like, I married a superhero. I couldn't believe it. I, 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 if I had to do all that stuff at one time, I'd be like, you know, I'd like put the baby in the oven, you know, the phone and the lasagna. As a waffle, I can handle one thing at a time. And you know what? That's okay, ladies. Because when it, when it comes to something that requires singular focus and courage, men can shove their fears into a box and walk straight into their death. On 9-11, 99% of the people who went back into the burning towers were men. It's part of the way we were made in the image of God. Now listen to this. There, this is not an excuse for men, okay, for being like emotionally unavailable or shut down. Every husband needs to learn your wife's love language. But the truth is a lot of people kind of go into marriage expecting my soulmate to be like my mirror image, and they're not. And so we think like the, the, this, this woman did. She's being very honest. She said, There's, he's so different. I wonder if I made a mistake. You, the, you know what the Bible says? You did not make a mistake. <laughs> God intended it to be this way from the beginning of creation because you're going to have to learn to love somebody who doesn't share your strengths. You're going to have to learn to show grace to somebody and live with their weaknesses, and that requires grace. Is this relevant to you? I'm speaking to some couples here. The truth is Christian marriage, biblical marriage, is more about holiness than it is about happiness. Happiness is when you expect your spouse to meet every single one of your needs. But holiness is when you actually realize only God can meet all my needs and then focus on loving and accepting and serving your spouse as Christ accepts and loves you. And that is with a covenant love. That's what biblical marriage is. It's a covenant. That just means it's an unconditional commitment to the other. I assume you're going to sin against me. Two different people become one flesh and it's not to come apart. And you know what that's a picture of? Guys, that's a picture of Christ's relationship with you. We, we are literally the bride of Christ. And in our sin, in our weakness, Jesus comes and says, I love you. In spite of your flaws and all your failings, I will never leave you or forsake you. Men, you're supposed to love that girl the way Christ loved the church and sacrificed himself for us. So practically speaking, guys, you got to learn to love and listen to spaghetti. <laughs> and ladies, you got to be okay repeating yourself sometimes. Because the boy isn't lazy or shutting you out. He's, he's wired like a waffle. Is this, this relevant to you? Christ said these words 2,000 years ago. He's quoting Genesis 4,000 years ago. Is this relevant to the 21st century? I think so. I'm communicating truth to you just in a way that you can understand and see. Now, with our time left, let me kind of address the second part of this email because she was very honest. She said, um, I want more emotional support. And he said, well, great, I want more sex. Doesn't get more relevant than that. And parents, just heads up, okay? Because the Bible is PG-13 in some places. But I do think this may be relevant to your kids who are going to rub up against a culture that says truth is relative, that says, hey, anything goes, sex before marriage, living together, that's the new normal, just deal with it, watch. 
If you flip over to 1 Corinthians, I want to show you how the Bible applies. Because in Matthew, Jesus gives us the divine principle of marriage. He's like, hey, this is a covenant before God. But Paul's going to show us how do you now practically apply this in the modern world. The Corinthian church had a bunch of practical questions about relationships, specifically the hot-button topic of sex. And, and f- this is what's amazing. Far from being like outdated or old-fashioned or prudish, the Bible gives very candid counsel. Paul writes this. Look at 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. It says, now for the matters you wrote about, it's good for a man not to marry, okay? But since there's so much immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each man, sorry, each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise, the wife to, his hus- to her husband. The wife does not belong to her, body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body doesn't belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you can devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of what? Your lack of self-control, okay? So sex is a hot button. I know we're like, we live in like the, you know, porn USA culture. Corinth, let me tell you something. They, they, we have nothing on them. The Corinthian church was outrageous. And sex was a sore spot for a lot of couples. So let me just kind of, to illustrate, you know, what Paul's saying here. Again, make this relevant a language you understand. For guys, for Waffle Boy, sex is our biggest box. It is the only one that is open 24-7, okay? Does this surprise you? Um, for, for men, sexual, this is biologically, sexual uh, interest peaks at about age 18, and it goes down from there. If you, if you, if you were to, you can draw this. If you were to chart this out scientifically, sexual interest for a man peaks at age 18, and then it goes down for the rest of his life. <laughs> just plummets. It just... And... And then you're dead. That's, that's kind of how that works. All right? That's scientific, okay? It's an important for you to understand, ladies, because when it, when it comes to sex, it's not that we're driven by our brain or our heart so much, but by a chemical called testosterone. And it runs through our blood, and it drives us crazy. It keeps the box open 24-7. Women, if you actually knew how much this drives us crazy, you would be more disgusted with us than you are right now, Okay? And while this is, you know, this chart's funny and, you know, you, you, you know, but it's true, you need to understand this. It's not because we're sickos, okay, or we're pervs. God wired us this way on purpose. Now, I'm generalizing here. I realize it's a stereotype to say that men are always more interested in sex than women. It's possible you're here today and you're married to a woman who is more interested in sex than you are. I just want to say that. If, in fact, if you are here today and your, your wife is more interested in sex than you are, I think I speak for the rest of the men when I say we hate you. Don't, don't raise your hand. I, we, we'll, we'll hurt you, okay? I just... But marriage, Paul writes, is God's given outlet for sexual expression. And he says, but the truth is this. Since there's so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. And the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. In other words, he's like, in, the, in this covenant, this marriage covenant... Sex is, is not just a delight, it's a duty. It's actually a, a God-commanded responsibility. I understand, women, that we want to be all romantic and all about love, but for a man, it's not just about romance, it's about respect for the way that God wired him. And you think, well, you know, if it's supposed to be this give-and-take thing, then why did, why did God wire men and women so differently? And, and to explain this, I just want to share, I'm going to share a simple anatomy lesson. We gave you room in your notes, you get to draw today. Let's do it this way, okay? 
Um, you could draw, uh, let's call this, here, here it is. Here's, here's the woman's heart, okay? Can everyone, you got a little heart there, okay? The woman's heart. And in the interest of keeping this PG, we'll call this her place of happiness. Yeah, go ahead, you can draw it. You can just draw it in your notes, okay? And I want you to understand this, okay? On some basic level, what Paul is saying is, what of men's primary interest in a woman is this. Are you shocked? Listen to the silence. It's so awkward. I love it. And because some of you women are like, I don't believe, I'm going to walk out. It shouldn't be about that. It should be about love and companionship and sharing. If it was only about love and companionship and sharing, we would just get a golden retriever and be done with it, okay? <laughs> He's supposed to be interested in this. It's not dirty. It's the way God wired us. But what most men fail to understand is the key to this is this. Yeah? And if a man touches this, his wife is going to give him the green light to go ahead and touch this. That's how it works for women. Oh, oh look at this. I see a few men nodding their heads, okay? This is funny. The, the sex drive is literally God's way of reminding Waffle Boy to love Spaghetti Girl. On average, a man will actually uh, feel the need for sexual release every 72 hours, every three days, okay? <laughs> Janet's like, with Ken, it's 72 minutes. Every 72 minutes, that's your problem, okay? You got to deal with that. But the reason that happens, and it keeps coming back to this, is because it's God's way of saying, wake up, Waffle Boy. It's time to love the girl. It's time to show her tenderness. It's time to embrace her. It's time to speak her love language. It's time to listen. In other words, you don't just go, hey, you awake. <laughs> Paul's like, don't be a moron. Love the girl. Show tenderness to the girl. Be kind to the girl. If you want, if you want sauce on your spaghetti, you got to do things that don't come naturally. It was funny, uh, last Wednesday night, I'm at the mall actually with Colleen, and she goes into this fitting room uh, to try and address, and I'm, I, I, I'm, she goes, just wait here. And I'm standing there with five other guys in this women's boutique, right, you know, and we all got out our nothing box. We're just checking email, you know, not looking, don't make eye contact. But I'm literally standing there, I'm like, what are, you know, half dozen guys doing in Macy's women's boutique at eight o'clock on a Wednesday night? Do you know why? Because they're all hoping that Wednesday night is pasta night, okay? <laughs> That's why I take Colleen shopping. That's why I say, oh, that looks good. Or no, no, out to dinner. It's why I'm, I know you're hating me for this, but I'm telling you the truth. It's why I write her poems. I do a lot of stuff that touches this because I understand that traces back to this. And it's not just biology, it's the Bible, you understand? And you can judge me, but this is how marriage works. And it's also why living together is such a disaster. Here is the truth. Couples who live together, have sex together before marriage, are 50% more likely to divorce than those who don't live together before marriage. Okay, that's not a statistic from the Bible, but the New York Times. One of the most emailed articles over this past year is called The Downside of Cohabitating Before Marriage. And it says, women are likely to view cohabitation, living together, as a step towards marriage, the covenant, while men are more likely to see it as a way to test the relationship or postpone commitment. Okay, this is why so many couples are kind of moving in together today. He said in his email, he says, hey, we like to be together. Um, we sleep over each other's places all the time anyway, so it's, it's cheaper, it's more convenient, so let's just try it out. And the article says that this is a phenomenon known as sliding, not deciding. In other words, it's a, it's, a, it's a gradual slope. Moving from dating 
to sleeping over to living together is just a gradual slope. You slide into it. There's no ceremony. Sometimes there's not even a conversation. Couples rarely discuss where is this going to lead. In other words, it's based on convenience, not a covenant. Does that make sense? And it is wildly lopsided in the man's favor. I mean, think about this. When a woman gives a man this before there is a covenant protecting it, oh my goodness. Girls, you are literally giving away all of that man's incentive to actually grow up, take responsibility, and care for this for the rest of your life. This is just common sense. I'm not preaching or trying to make you feel guilty. This is common sense. If you were, uh, if you were remodeling your house, think about this. Would you pay the contractor all the money up front? Never, especially in Jersey, right? Why? Because if you give it to him all up front, he has no motivation to make good on his promise. You know how this goes. He's not going to show up on time. He's going to do the work half-heartedly. It's human nature. You never pay a man all in advance. You pay them after they hit certain marks and actually show evidence of their long-term commitment to the job. That's what happens, folks, when you choose convenience over a covenant. Living together over marriage. Single ladies, all the single ladies. You are undermining your man's basic motivation to love you for life. When you live together, you have given him all the benefits of marriage with none of their responsibility. And then single women come up to me kind of crying. They say, well, why won't he love me? Why won't he marry me? Why won't he blah, blah? Why would he? You are going against God's basic design. You got to make him earn it, girl. If he likes it, he should have put a ring on it. That's from the first book of Beyonce. You can look that up, okay? <laughs> Am I telling the truth here? See, guys, the Bible is not this, this, this arcane record of old-fashioned social customs. It is the basic truth of God that even the New York Times has to grudgingly admit is true. And here's the truth, guys. I'm not trying to make you feel bad or guilty, okay? If you're here this morning, you know, you've had premarital sex, you're living with somebody, you're, you're sleeping with somebody. I'm not, my job is not to judge you. Grace wins, you're welcome here. But you know what? We're going to tell you the truth because it can change your whole life. Guys, truth is a matter of trust. Do you take God actually at his word and put into practice what he's speaking to your heart? There's one couple at Liquid who did. It's remarkable. Um, Jack and Ahi Ma, they were a young couple who started dating and actually got engaged at Liquid. They actually began living together. But as they wrestled with, with, with God's truth, yeah, they did something remarkable. They made the decision to move out prior to getting married. I'll let them share their story. But the important thing is realizing it and, and moving on and, and correcting that. We need to serve a God that's forgiving and uh, we give him grace. We decided to fast together. It was a unique first date. It was my first time experiencing that. We just had this connection that I felt um, she was going to be the one. We dated for about three and a half years before we got engaged. We first made the decision to live with each other. I think we were dating for, what, a year maybe? Felt like we could save money that way. It was just easier. Um, she didn't have to come to New Brunswick to see me. I guess I wasn't thinking about, is this the right thing to do? Is this what God wants? It was more just like, is this what I want? Is this what he wants? And is this the right thing to do for us in our relationship? There are points along the way we definitely where I felt guilty that we were living together and we were married. The arguments that we had and just the way we, you know, would disagree on a lot of things. We weren't married, so it was almost like we kind of rushed into everything. Since we were living with each other, um, 
naturally we were, we were having sex. Um, it definitely presented some problems for us because personally for me it was, um, I felt like I had it pretty good. You know, why, why do I need to get married? We were, you know, kind of already doing what married people do. When Pastor Mike first met with us about marriage mentoring, um, I was nervous, but at the same time I was really excited because we were engaged. I think it was like his third or fourth question to us was, uh, you know, are you guys, uh, do you guys have sex? <laughs> um, took us a little bit by surprise, but uh, you know, we were like, yeah, you know. When Pastor Mike asked us that, uh, um, to, to move out. It was hard, it was really hard. I mean, I failed the first couple nights because I, I rationalized again to myself. At that point, I really just wanted to do things right. I really just wanted to um, honor God with our marriage too. I think we would have definitely tied the knot sooner mm -hmm. um, had we not been doing that. Not only are we committing ourselves to marriage, that we're also um, making commitment to God and, and making sure that he stays in the center of our relationship. Keeping marriage sacred, I think, is really important. And it's okay to make a mistake, but the important thing is realizing it and, and moving on and, and correcting that. We need to serve a God that's forgiving and uh, we give him grace. Can we hear it for Jack and Ahi first off? That's amazing. That's incredible. They are rare, all right? That, that's a man who is leading his family. In other words, they, they received God's truth and they actually took it to heart and they made a difficult choice. See, moving in with somebody is, is, is very easy to slide into because it's all upside. You split the rent, you shop for new furniture together, you don't live on the couch anymore. And it's very hard, though, to slide out of when things don't work out. Suddenly, you're back to, you know, crashing in your parents' basement. And who wants to do that? So it's very easy to just settle which is why cohabitating couples are 50% more likely to divorce. But what's remarkable to me is that after choosing convenience, Jack accepted the truth. And that was not easy to swallow. But he took that to heart and he said, you know what? Our commitment to Christ is more important than convenience. God's our priority, and we want to actually honor him in our marriage and start it this way with his blessing. Do you think God's going to bless that relationship? My goodness. Ladies, when you, ladies, when you give this away, no strings attached, you are sabotaging your future. I'm serious. This is a matter of trust. Can you trust your heavenly father that he has designed this from the beginning and he will give you the best if you do it his way in his timing? Guys, does this make sense? Is this relevant? I, I could go on here. For men, for men, it's just the opposite. <laughs> Every woman wants to touch the man's heart. I want to share heart with him. What most wives fail to understand is that the key to touching this is touching this. Oh, I know. You're like, oh, he's such a pig. I can't believe it's about to. If you do this before marriage, you are sabotaging your future. Wives, inside of marriage, you earn tremendous goodwill. This is the key to touching your husband's heart. That's what Paul's getting at in 1 Corinthians. He says, the wife's body doesn't belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way the husband's body doesn't belong to him alone, but also to his wife. In other words, he's, he's like, each of you have to own this dynamic. You've, you've got to own this, okay? A lot of women treat this like this is a secondary issue. This is a primary issue. You can say, I wish this was different. He shouldn't be so interested in this. He's such a pig. You're fighting against God, okay? This is the key to a happy marriage. Growing up, they used to say, the key to a man's heart is his 
stomach. Guess what? They were about six inches too high. The point is, husbands, husbands, the key to what you want, this is her door. Wives, the key to what you want, this is his door. Can we just acknowledge this? Don't deprive her heart. Don't deprive his happiness. This is not my opinion as a man. This is God's honest truth. Don't deprive each other, Paul says, except by mutual consent. You both agree to this, and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. In other words, the Bible's basic command to married folks is to enjoy regular and frequent sex. Paul's like, I don't want you to take a break from this unless you both decide to for like, you know, a season of fasting or prayer. In other words, spiritually refocusing on God. But once you say amen, get back at this. Do you know why scripture teaches this? Finish the verse. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. See, whether you are single or married, this is very ironic. Before marriage, the devil will do anything he can to get a man and a woman into bed. But after marriage, the devil will do whatever he can to keep them out of it. Do you hear this, wives? I'm not saying he's king or he gets this anytime he demands it. I am assuming you are married to a normal, healthy Christian man with the spirit of God living in his heart. He's not dirty. He's not perverted. It's, this is part of the way you fill his tank. And when you serve him this way, guess what? You also get more of what you want. It is win-win. Waffles, spaghetti. Is this relevant to you? Because that's the truth. And I wanted you to see this. I wanted you to see this. And you guys know, I try to illustrate and teach things in a way that you will remember. <laughs> because in any other kitchen, these things don't go together. Waffles are a breakfast food. Pasta's on the dinner menu, except in God's kitchen. God's like, oh, I love waffle-getty. Can you say waffle-getty? Waffle-getty. Let's thank God for his gift, all right? Bow with me. Father, we do thank you um, for your truth. It is more relevant than ever probably in our culture. And I want to thank you for this gift. I thank you, Lord, for Jack and Ahi. Um, and just the example, Lord, it's encouraging to see a young couple, Lord, in their 20s. Um, uh, Lord, literally embrace your truth. Take it to heart, God. I pray that you'll bless them and all the other couples, Lord, even those in marriages that are maybe struggling or kind of flatlined or, or those of us who are single again, Lord, and wrestling through, trying to heal from a divorce. I ask right now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, Lord, where we need grace, let it be just a, a, the oil of healing in our, our heart, Father. But where we need truth, would you convict through your Holy Spirit because we know you have our best in mind. We ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. All God's people said together, amen. amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.